God, we thank you for who you've shown yourself to be uh, through your word. I thank you that you have shown yourself to be faithful and loving and compassionate toward us again and again and again. I pray that as we open your word today, we would get a sense of, of who you are, of what you've done for us, and what you've called us to do. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. In 1555, three men uh, stood trial for their lives because of their uh, beliefs about Jesus. So they were given an ultimatum. You either uh, say that you are wrong and you stop teaching what you have been teaching, or you'll be killed. Well, despite that threat, uh, the men stood by their beliefs, and they were given the death sentence. And when that sentence was read, one of them, Hugh Latimer, said this. He said, I thank God most heartily that he has prolonged my life to this end, that I may, in this case, glorify God by that kind of death. October 16th, 55, Latimer uh, and Nicholas Ridley were burned at the stake. And then months later, March 21st, 1556, their friend Thomas Cramner also uh, was burned at the stake. They these men became known as the Oxford Martyrs, all three killed because of what they believed about Jesus. Now, there have been lots of people through the years who have been killed for their trust in Jesus, but what is uh, shocking and surprising about what happened here is who killed these three Christians? It was the church. There are other Christians who, who believed that what they were teaching was really uh, dangerous. These three men were killed by other Christians for what they believed about Jesus. This was part of what was known as the uh, Reformation. So as uh, these Christian leaders and as other lay people were reading uh, God's word more, that they came to be convinced that, that the church had, had kind of gotten off track and, and they were fighting for the recovery of these core gospel truths. So we have up here this statement of five different alone statements, and they really encapsulate what the reformers were fighting for, so that our salvation is because of what Christ alone has done, and that is received by faith alone. And all of this is because of God's grace alone, so that it is to the glory of God alone. And this is revealed in Scripture alone as the, the full uh, source of, of these truths and the authority of these truths. And, and these are the core truths of the gospel that men like Latimer and Ridley and Cramner, they believed so strongly the importance of these things that they were willing to be burned alive to fight for them and to bring them to the fore and to bring them back into the life of the church. Well, why would they do that? What was so important about these things? Why, why would they, they stake their very lives on this, willing to undergo this excruciating death by being burned alive? Well, it's because they believed that the very integrity of the gospel was at stake. They believed that our salvation was at stake in these core truths that the church had gone away from. And so they were bringing these back because they thought eternity matters here. When we've been looking at these, uh, starting last week, the next four weeks, we'll be looking at these and last week we looked at how crucial it is to, to understand that it is Christ alone that, that wins our salvation, that doing religious things is never going to make us right before God, but it's only because of what Jesus has done for us. And this week we're going to look at how we actually respond to that gospel message, that it is by faith alone that we receive God's salvation. So we're going to look at two different passages today to see why this was so important to the Reformers and why it's so important for us today too. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, and then later the book of Galatians. So grab a Bible if you would. Uh, turn to Acts 2. It's found on page 1692 of the Pew Bibles, if you want to follow along in one of those. So we're going to see, as we look at this, that, that faith alone is our response to the gospel from first to last, from the beginning to the end of our faith. So it's by faith alone that we enter into relationship with God, and it's by faith alone that we remain, we live in relationship 
with God. So let's start with the first. It's by faith alone that we enter into relationship with God. We start to see this already in this first passage in, in Acts chapter 2. We won't read that whole uh, passage, but what this is is the first Christian sermon. So Peter, who is one of the first followers of Jesus, is filled with the Spirit of God, and he proclaims to the people who are gathered that, that God has uh, raised Jesus from the, from the dead. So he was crucified, he was killed, but then God raised him to life again, and, and that Jesus is the Messiah, the King that God sent to rescue his people, that he is the Lord. And here's how he ends this sermon, verse 36 of Acts 2. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. This is the crux of the whole thing that he's saying. Jesus is the center of God's work. He is the Lord. He is the saving king that God sent to his people. Well, the message has its impact, and the people respond. Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Now, I have to admit that I'm always a little jealous of Peter when I read this. He preaches, and, and people are, are cut to the heart. It impacts their lives, and they say, okay, we've got to do something about this. Tell us, what do we do? And I feel like I, I preach a sermon, and people are kind of like, oh, that's a nice little sermon. I kind of I picture them like patting me on the head. Isn't that kind of quaint of you to do that? I'm a little bit jealous of, of the response that Peter gets here. But nonetheless, like, God's Spirit is at work in a powerful way that people recognize that if what he's saying is true, and they're believing that it's true, that Jesus really is the saving king that God sent, well, that has huge implications, means they have to actually respond to this message. So how do they respond? Verse 38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. So they are to respond by repenting, in other words, turning away from uh, their former way and turning to Jesus, and then by being baptized in the name of Jesus. So publicly identifying with Jesus in his death and resurrection. So what does this mean for how we enter into a relationship with God through Jesus? Does this mean that we do good things to make ourselves right before God? Well, of course not. This is repent and believe. Repent and be identified with Jesus through baptism. If this was us doing good things to earn our favor before God, it would undermine the very nature of the gospel. The gospel is that God sent Jesus to save sinners through his death and resurrection. Salvation is accomplished by Jesus alone. We are made right with God by trusting in what Jesus has done. It's believing in what he's done. So we simplify this by saying it is through faith alone that we respond. That's what repentance and baptism are about. They're saying that whatever it was that I put my trust and my hope in before, I'm trading that in for Jesus, and I'm believing him. I'm trusting in him. I'm not saved because of what I do. I'm saved because of what Jesus has done. And this is important too. When we say faith alone, we don't just mean that we intellectually uh, say that this is true. It's more than simply saying, well, no, I believe it's true that Jesus died and that he rose again. It's actually applying that to our lives. So James 2 in the Bible says that even demons believe in the truth about Jesus, but they don't actually accept that for themselves. Faith is actively accepting that into our lives. The classic example is about thinking about a chair. So you could look at a chair and you could say, well, I believe that that chair is able to hold my weight. Or you might believe that the chair is not able to hold your weight. But you look at that chair and it's one thing to say that you believe that, but it's another thing to actually sit in the chair. Sitting in in the chair is actually putting that belief into action. And what's really important is what you are putting your faith in. So Pastor Tim Keller says it's like two people getting on an airplane. Just for fun, we'll say it's one of them is me and one of them is my wife. 
Now, when I got onto an airplane, I've got pretty good confidence in this whole situation. I trust in the soundness of the plane. I trust in the competence of the pilot. I feel pretty good about getting on that plane, and that's going to safely take me to my destination. My wife is not so sure. She gets on an airplane, and she'll get on it, but she's really nervous the whole time. What if the pilot makes a mistake? What if something goes wrong with the plane? What what if we go down? Now, I always try to comfort her by by suggesting that dying in a plane crash is probably not the worst way to go. At least we're all together, right? And it's probably not a long-suffering kind of a thing. It's pretty short, pretty abrupt. It doesn't seem to actually help her at all. So with with each each little bump of turbulence, she's just gripping those those armrests, just white-knuckling the whole time. So I'm sitting there enjoying the flight, having my little sip of ginger ale, and she's white-knuckling the whole thing. But you know what? We both land in the plane. Let's say we land in sunny Orlando. It's a nice thing to think about when there's snow on the ground in April, mid-April. But who, who makes it to Orlando then? Well, both of us, right? Why? Well, because the plane was sound and the pilot was competent. What matters is, is that those things were okay. And that's what actually got us to our destination. Now, maybe it looked like my faith was stronger and her faith was weaker, but we were on the same plane, and that's the important part. The the important part was the act of faith and actually getting on the plane, putting your life in the hands of that pilot and plane. And so it is with Jesus. Faith is putting your life in his hands. See, it's not just believing that a plane can get me safely from here to there, but actually getting on the plane. Faith is staking everything on him. And what matters is who we are putting our trust in. It's not that we have to have perfect faith. It's that we are putting our faith in the right one. That's what matters most in the scenario. So our salvation is from Christ alone, and that is received, it's accepted by faith alone, by putting our active trust and faith in him. That's how we gain right standing before God. It is by faith alone that we enter into relationship with God. But here's where we can run into problems, because it's not just that By faith alone, we enter into relationship with God, but it's actually also by faith alone that we remain, we live in relationship with God. So it's clear that that our salvation is received by faith alone, and yet we have this intuitive sense that we should do something, that that something is required of us here. We, We sense that there should be a life change when we put our trust in Jesus, that we should live differently as a result of this. And and that's right. We should live differently as a result of this. The the gospel should transform every part of our lives. As a pastor friend says, if if you meet Jesus and your life doesn't change, you've met a different Jesus. You've not actually encountered the true Jesus. But here's where we can run into problems if we're not careful here. It's easy for us to start thinking that doing good things is a response of the gospel that actually gains us some kind of merit before God. We've somehow earned or earned our keep before God. It keeps us in right standing. So to put it in theological terms, and don't worry if you don't get the terms, we are justified, we are made right, declared right before God's judgment seat by grace through faith alone, but then we are sanctified, we're actually made holy and stay in relationship with him by doing good things. Now if that's true, it means that good works have a part in our salvation, and that means that it's not by faith alone that we're in relationship with God. Now, this is one of the things that the Reformers fought and died for, and for good reason, as we're going to see in a moment. But here's the thing. You and I, in our day, we've forgotten that. I saw a, a Pew study just released last year that found that 52% of American Protestant Christians believe that both good deeds 
and faith in Jesus are needed to get into heaven. Less than half of us, only 46% of us, believe in this doctrine of faith alone. I mean, this is one of the core truths of the Reformation. These guys fought and died for this, willing to be burned at the stake, and we just kind of shrug our shoulders, and we don't really believe in it anymore. Well, we actually aren't the first ones to not believe in it, and the Reformers weren't the first ones to make a big deal about the importance of this. So let's look at the book of Galatians now to get a sense of how we continue to remain in Jesus through faith. So let's look at the beginning of Galatians. Galatians is found in the Pew Bibles on page 1808, if you want to flip ahead to that real fast here. So Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. So this is written by an early church leader named Paul to this uh, church, this region of Galatia, and he is upset. Something is happening here and he's outraged at it. So what is happening? Well, they're thinking that they need to add some kind of works here, particularly based on the Old Testament law, to stay in right relationship with God. But this simply doesn't work, as, as we'll see. So we're going to not go the, through the whole book here, but let's, let's skip ahead to chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. It really hits the crux of the matter here. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles note that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may just be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Now, justified is this uh, legal term about being declared innocent. So this is about standing before the judgment seat of God and being declared to be righteous, being declared to be innocent. Now, the, the standard uh, religious thinking is that we do good things and then God will reward us for doing good things. But that's not the Christian message. Here, we are too sinful to be made right by doing good things. We will simply never be able to measure up to the perfect holiness of God. The only way for us to have right standing before God, the only way for us to be justified before him is through faith in Jesus. And that's what this is about. It's through faith alone. And we just celebrated Good Friday and, and Easter last week, remembering the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, if our standing before God is based on us doing good things, then why would Jesus die? That's what Paul is saying here at the end of chapter 2. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. It undermines the whole logic of the gospel, why Jesus died and rose again in the first place. Well, Paul's not quite done here. Chapter 3, verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ is clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Now, Paul is clearly really worked up about this. He's, he's agitated and he's perplexed. He's saying, like, what on earth are you doing? 
You heard the message of Jesus, and you responded by putting your faith in him. That is the right thing. You started so well. And what are you doing going back to trying to do this in your own power? You've been thrown off, and you're totally letting go of the, the good news of the gospel. You're letting go of this relationship with God that's received by faith. You're trying to just earn your way now. What is happening? It doesn't work. He's saying, listen, our salvation is either by faith in Jesus, received by faith through the power of the Spirit, or it is by you trying to do really good things and finding a way to justify yourselves through your own efforts. It can't be both. You've got to pick which plane you're on. And you started so well, it's like you're jumping from one plane to the next. It's not going to work. And yet somehow this is our natural tendency. So, so we hear that, that Jesus died for us. That he rose again, he defeated death, and we, we put our trust in him. This is good news. But then we're like, well, we've just got to do something, right? We're, we're going to do something to, to make it up to God or to show him how much we're, we're appreciative of him. We're going we're to do some kind of works to maintain this relationship. We've got to do something. But the work is already, already done. It's completely done for us. Our salvation is a gift that's given to us. My son turned four years old last week. And so we had a birthday party for him. We had chocolate cake with a raccoon on the front and all this stuff. Uh, and of course, he got to open some presents. And so he's opening presents and he comes to this big present. And he's really excited about it. He rips off the paper and here is a big Tonka truck. And he is so excited. What does he do? Well, he says, thank you. And then he immediately starts playing with it. And that's the right response, right? That's the most natural response in the world when you get a gift that you really like. You express thanks and, and you use that gift. Now, what if instead of responding like that, he said, well, that must have been expensive. How much did that cost? I'll go up to my piggy bank and, and I'll pay you back for that. And if I don't have enough in my piggy bank, then, then I'll try to, try to work and do jobs to kind of earn money and I'll be able to pay you back for that gift. I really like it, so, not, so I feel like I should pay you back for that somehow. Well, how do we feel about that? No, you've missed the whole point. We would either be amused that he would try to do something like that or upset or offended that he would think that he has to. He's, he's missed the point of a gift. All we wanted him to do is to accept that gift and, and to enjoy it and to play with it. It's by faith that we enter into relationship with God, and it's by faith that we continue to live in relationship with God. See, we have a really hard time believing that all we do is put our faith in Jesus. Surely there must be something else, something I can add to this. It just seems too easy. Now, for sure, when we have faith in Jesus, we will do good things. But those good things are the outcome of our salvation. They're never the means of our salvation. And it's so crucial to avoid that mistake of confusing the two. We are saved by Christ alone through faith in him. And then that experience of salvation transforms our lives. Galatians 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Verse 4, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision have any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So the freedom we have in the gospel is that we are rescued by Jesus through faith and not by works. And that freedom means that we never have to work to justify ourselves before God. What counts is faith, which is expressing itself in love. 
Now, that means that faith is active. Faith actually does something, but the, the love that, that, that is, comes out of that is the action of that comes from and is a result of the faith at work in our hearts. Now, Paul will continue through here to say that living by faith means living by God's Spirit, and God's Spirit will be at work applying the gospel to our lives, and that will result in life change. So verses 22 to 25, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So yes, we are called to live different lives. The gospel transforms us. If you meet Jesus and your life doesn't change, you haven't actually met Jesus. But that transformation is the result of the gospel at work in our lives. That's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit here. So as the Spirit applies the truth of God's salvation in our hearts, it affects this change in us, and the result is love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. See, we have to see here that, that this salvation that we're offered in Christ alone, through faith alone, this is so much better than any alternative. See, if we enter into a relationship with God, by doing good things, or if we stay in relationship with God by doing good things, then what's going to happen in our hearts is that we will be constantly living with this deep insecurity, because it means that every time I mess up, every time I fail, my relationship with God is put into question. I mean, imagine treating your kids like that. Well, hey, if you get a detention again, I'm kicking you out of the house. Or, hey, if you don't get on the, the dean's list this semester, I'm going to disown you as my daughter. Of course we don't do that. Imagine the, the amount of insecurity that would be built up in that. And even if we did manage to do really well, then where would the honor go? We'd feel really good about it ourselves, right? The honor wouldn't go to God, it would go to us. We tried really hard. But if we know that our standing before God is by faith alone because of what Jesus has done perfectly for us, then we're able to live with freedom. We're able to stop thinking constantly about ourselves and, and what we are doing and worrying about our standing before God. And instead of the insecurity and the pride and the arrogance, all the things that are wrapped up in that, instead we experience love and joy and peace. And because we have that love and joy and peace of knowing we have this secure relationship with God solely based on what Jesus has done perfectly for us, then we're able to treat others well as well with patience, with forbearance, with kindness, with goodness, and with gentleness. See, this is the fruit of God's Spirit applying the truth of the gospel to our hearts. It's the result of us knowing that God accepts us on the basis of Jesus alone, received by faith alone, not because we do good things. That's what the Reformers fought and died for. It mattered to them. And we see it mattered to Paul. And it matters today too. It matters what we think about God, what our relationship with him is based on. Maybe you've had a job where your boss you never seem to be able to please your boss. And every time you made a mistake, they would just berate you and skewer you. You're always afraid that you were going to lose that job. Did you like going to work? Did you enjoy that? Maybe you've had a, a parent that you never could quite seem to please. You wanted them to be proud of you, and yet 
you knew they weren't. It always seemed like you were never able to measure up to their standard. Was that a healthy relationship? Did that feel good to have that kind of a relationship with your parent? It's easy for us to look at God in in those same terms. If this is based on us just managing to do enough good things, then I'm always going to tend to think about God as either an angry boss or a disappointed parent, just waiting to punish us. But that's not the Christian message, and that's not the God of the Bible. But God of the Bible shows that he is for us, and he loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die for us because he knew that we could never do this in our own power. Or maybe you've, you've come to believe in Jesus. Maybe you're, you're a new follower of Jesus. You, you trust him, you've been baptized, and, and you've got a new life, and, and now you're saying, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to live a good Christian life. I'm going to serve God. This is going to be great. And you might start really well, but sooner or later, you're going to fail because force of will and good intentions, they're not going to take you very far. And what happens when, when you mess up? What happens when, when there are setbacks? What happens when you find out that you don't have the, the strength and the ability to do this? It would be very easy to get discouraged and deflated, to think, well, maybe this whole thing, maybe there's nothing to this after all. What do we do with that? Well, we have to come back to the gospel. Like Paul is saying to the Galatians, don't, don't, don't be so foolish as to think that you've got to earn your way now. Come back to the fact that, that Jesus died for you, and he rose again in defeat of death. If you fall into these ways of thinking, you've got to come back to the gospel. Look at the cross. Look at the resurrection. If you had to earn your standing before God, those simply don't make any sense. Repent of that way of thinking. That is a trap. Don't be so foolish to think that you have to pay this gift back. Instead, see the beauty and the wonder of the gospel and allow that to help you to respond in praise for God. So when you find yourself thinking that, that doing good things is going to get, you, get God to love you more, you have to remember that he already loves you and accepts you perfectly in Jesus. And when you see this going on in your heart, you've got to call it out. Don't let this sit in there and, and fester and, and allow it to, to poison your thinking about God or poison your praise of God. Call it out, name it, and turn back to Jesus then. I have to admit, there's, I feel uh, inadequate to be able to bring the, the glories of, of the gospel, and the glories of these truths in, in a way that we can really grab a hold of. It's one of the frustrations of, of, of being a, a teacher of God's word to, to realize that there is so much here and I can't just, just kind of zap you and make you believe it or, or help you to understand that the whole glory of this thing. We need God's spirit to actually speak these truths into our lives if we're to see how beautiful and how powerful these truths really are. But let me give you just a tiny little tool that you can use on a daily basis. It's, it's not adequate for the task, but it's a, a little thing that we can do to remind ourselves of this. Now, I would encourage you to make this part of your, your morning routine. So you, you brush your teeth in the morning, right? Hopefully. If you don't, this would be a, a place to start. So we can start two habits at once here. So you brush your teeth in the morning. When you're brushing your teeth, consciously remember the gospel. Thank God that, that Jesus died for you and rose again. And then commit yourself to putting all of your confidence and all of your trust in him and ask God to help you to live in that freedom today. In the time you can brush your teeth, you can preach the gospel to yourself. Now, I realize that most of us are not going to do this, but I would challenge you to try it just for a week, just this week. Try, as you're brushing your teeth in the morning, preaching the gospel to yourself. See, we've got to come back to these things because like the Galatians and like the church before the Reformers, it's so easy for us to lose sight of how crucial this is. 
But as we continue to come back to this, as we continue to remind ourselves of this, as we continue to read God's word and, and ask God to minister the truth of the gospel to our hearts, his spirit works in us to transform us, to bring us to life. So we preach the gospel to ourselves every day until our heart sings the beauty and the glory of, of God revealed in Jesus. Because see, that's what this is all about. This is about what the God who created us did through his son Jesus for his eternal glory. He has done everything for us. The, the grace of God alone, because of what Jesus alone has done, received by faith alone, to the glory of God alone. So from first to last, this is about what God has done. And we receive this by faith from beginning to end. It's by faith alone that we have a relationship with God. 